Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Now, most Swedes are stuck in that this is what racism is, the act. Like either, uh, either you, you're performing the act or you're not performing the mm. act. And most people identify as somebody, well, I've never performed mm. the act. I've never overtly been racist. I've never called anyone the N-word. I'm not a racist. Mm. True in one sense of the matter. No, you haven't overtly engaged in using or, or, or in, in, in explicitly suppressing somebody because of the color of their skin, but you're still gaining from your, the privilege that comes with the color of your skin. And you're also a part of this larger structure that you're talking about. The Swedish uh, grasp of what racism is, is pretty much stuck in, you know, well, I don't use the N word, so I'm not a racist, you know? And the, but the people over there, they're the ones who are racist. And it's very easy to point fingers at, at the people who from now on shall, shall remain named, unnamed, but to point fingers at them and say, well, they're the problem, they're the racists, and I can feel fine because I'm not one of them. Welcome to this moment with me, Jason Diakite, sitting in Stockholm, Sweden, and my brother, the man, the myth, the legend, Marcus Samuelson, straight out of Marcus Garvey Park, Harlem, USA. How you doing, man? I'm good, man. But you, you can drop the myth, legend, and adding cook at least. You got it. You can't drop cook. What's yeah, going? yeah, yeah. No, legend supersedes everything, man. Why you want to box yourself into just being a chef, man? You do so much more than cooking, man. First of all, I don't know what you're eating at home, and I also don't know what you're putting in the food that you're feeding us because we're feeling your energy, man. Yeah, it's called something that you know about, Juju, Juju. I, I know this dude that has like Juju records. I don't even know. You have that <laughs> secret excellence sauce that, you, that you're dripping and everything. So I wouldn't ever, I would never limit you to, yes. to just the kitchen, just the food, you know? It's the ideas. And Jason, welcome back. Like, uh, I feel like your energy is like, <laughs> we're like, welcome back, son. What's going oh, on? Thank you. But, but, but you know, it's still there. Yep. It's still there. The lid is on. You know, like, for example, so like my egg is poaching right now. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Last yep. week, it was uh, the pasta water was boiling over. Boiling hard. You know? But we need that, though. It's simmering. Yes, it's simmering. Yes, yes. And we need all of that. You know, change, Jason. Change is hard. And I think for our generation, we saw a change through the 60s and so on. And it's almost like uh, romanticized. Even if you look at the picture of how African-Americans were beaten by the cop, it's become this sort of image that, you, that is in videos or something like that. And right now we're going through a monumental change and it's super hard because it's slower than you want it to be. It's a pandemic. But I have to say, I had never been prouder and I've also never been, uh, I don't know what tomorrow's gonna be, you know, which is both scary and exciting. How do you feel? I feel <laughs> this week has been weird. Sunday, uh, Sunday night, my friend Rebecca called me from Brooklyn. Mm. She's, uh, she's a, a, a brown Swede, but lives mm. in Brooklyn. She called me just to say, Jason, I just wanted to call you. And I know it's difficult where you are. Mm. I just wanted to send you some energy from New York City. What's happening here is huge. I'm feeling hope. You know, nice. people are marching every day. 
there is singing, there is dancing, there's yes. energy. You know, New York is back to what New York is best at being, which is this, mm-hmm. just this melting pot of all this creativity, energy, color of life, you know? Source of inspiration, you know? Yeah, but it was, <laughs> it was so weird. She's calling from the heart of the pandemic, a, a, a nation in upheaval with rubber bullets and tear gas flying around, calling to mm-hmm. safe little Legoland Sweden, a fantasy island where, you know, and to offer me some solace, you know, to comfort me for, I'm, I'm sorry for what I imagine what you're going through now because you're not feeling this energy and sense of community. So, and then you called, then you called me the next day and told me the same thing. And I was like, okay, I'm trying to channel it. I'm trying to channel it because it's not really felt, of course, here on the streets of Sweden because Sweden has a whole different history and a whole different narrative of what we tell ourselves of what our national identity is and for a whole for a whole host of reasons. No, but I felt the same of like the two people that I feel I shouldn't say sorry, but I wanted to be here are you and our friend Teddy, that is like this amazing director that started Afropedia, which is a platform for black creatives in the world. And I'm like, Jason and Teddy has to be here in this moment because <laughs> there is all these, both you guys are extremely creative, but you will also have your different read. You know, we're, you know, we, we are three black Swedes all in the creative fields came up at the same time, but we would, we would take from it very different. You would pick up things that I wouldn't pick up on and, and, and vice versa. So I've, I've been like, yeah, Jason needs to be here. Teddy needs to be here. You know I can I mean? only imagine the energy you're feeling from what you're seeing on the streets. You're in day 13 of protests. Yeah. Day 13 or 14. Mm. What are you feeling right now, Marcus? Well, the, the last night or yesterday all day, it was the funeral of George Floyd. And it's, it's amazing because there's two things I want to say that African-American culture have always been the culture that America has kind of like pushed out through the world and it's become the culture of hip hop or it's become the, the culture of pop and or street fashion. And the world has always taken that. And the one thing this moment is different is because now the world is actually taking the message of Black Lives Matters and it's a door opener for oppression all over the world. So to see people march in Palestine, to see people march in Australia or or Stockholm, part of it is the same narrative, but part of it is also whatever marginalized people do over the world. So the fact that black culture, just like the civil rights movement, led us there 50 years later, that's been really, really powerful. The second thing is when the funeral happened. It's like there is this one black church that ever fits everybody, right? We kind of know what's going to happen. Like Al Sharpton, Al Sharpton Reverend Sharpton yeah. is speaking. The gospel is, it is on point. There is something extremely spiritual and beautiful that you just want to cry because, you know, the singers are like, you know, they're just on point. And so the world knows that it's going to be in a black church. There's going to be gospel check, and the gospel is there. There's going to be a reverend and a priest. People are going to applaud. Uh, the music is just on point. And all of that happened. And, you know, then you have the incredible sort of the all the African-American celebrities stepping up and paying for certain things. Like, for example, Tyler Perry got a plane. And the plane was filled with Eric Garner's mother, Trayvon Martin's mother, uh, Ahmaud Arbery's mother. So all these African-American young men that has been killed either by police or in a, on the streets, these parents, these mothers and fathers, Brianna Taylor's parents. So, you know, these parents have all something to share. They have this, you know, all of a sudden they're in a club that no one should ever, ever want to be in, which is that you lost your daughter, your son to the brutality of either police officers or just street life. So they've never met before, but all of a sudden they were connected. And 
that was how that happens was pretty amazing. The last thing I want to say is that George Floyd, the person, was an imperfect person, and that's okay. Like when we glorify, like George Floyd is not for the world. It's going to be a myth that, you know, Maxine and, and Zion's going to know about, but maybe start talking about it as an icon when they're 10, 15. But yesterday was about George Floyd as a person, and he wasn't perfect, Jason. And that, that was something sweet about that, that they talked about it. You know, he was telling jokes. He's have had in and outs with the loss before. But it wasn't his need to say that George Floyd was a perfect person. And I think this is a new way of really honor. And, you know, he was an everyday black man, grew up in the third ward in Houston, where a lot of Houston rappers come from. You know, this is where Beyonce grew up as well. And has, you know, you know the Houston yeah, man. Scarface, U- UGK? Scarface, Ghetto Boys, yeah. UGK. Scarface. I think yes. they're Port yeah, Arthur, yeah. but still, yeah. you know, yeah, H-Town, man. Yeah. So, you know, the contribution that that area has had to the world. And it was just beautiful to see that it was not the time to make him like this hmm. perfection. He was a black man growing up in the hood. Just trying to make he was a, he was a human he to be seen as a human something yes. that the the officer whose name I won't uh, won't say mm-hmm. didn't see him as you know or he saw him as some someone less than human or something less than human something that you can kill at will because that was yesterday now you're gonna see on the conserv other platforms gonna be now they're gonna start bringing him down as a person right because they already they always throw in that salt of doubt. They did that with Trayvon. Yeah. I mean, it was just obvious to everyone. You know, that's another thing I mm-hmm. have to say. And I know I don't have to explain this to you, but it has to be it has to no, be speak, speak, to speak. people uh, who are listening to this, who may be in Sweden and can't understand why what's happening in the United States resonates with black and brown Swedes. And I really I can't stress this enough. Racism is a cumulative experience. That is, mm. for 45 years, as long, far back as I can remember, my body and my psyche is on constant high alert to be aware that at any mm. time I could, I could be micro-attacked or, or you know, I could be refused a table at a restaurant. I could get a dirty look. Somebody might say something. The cops might stop me. So it could be anything on the scale of something small or something big. But this constant state of alertness, uh, and then and that's built up on experience. First of all, your parents have told you about it, and then you've experienced it yourself from people in shops following you around because you know shopkeepers following you around because uh, because of the color of your skin, you look extra suspect or. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, people coming up to you on the street in Sweden and uh, or, or at a restaurant and speaking English to you, even though they're speaking Swedish to everybody else at the table, just like uh, my brother Barakat was saying the other day. You know, th- these type of small and large things or being stopped by the police, which I have been many times, you know, uh, just for the color of my skin mm-hmm. and just because they want to know uh, if the car I'm driving is stolen or not or if I'm on drugs. So the cumulative experience that all black and brown people, all black and brown people have experienced racism. Everyone, everyone, everyone. There's nobody who's free from it. And it's an accumulated Mm. feeling and it's over a lifetime. And when you see something as brutal, uh, when you see what happened to George Floyd and the way he was killed, it comes back to you. Your cumulative experiences start replaying in your mind and all that pain and all that anger and all that deep-seated feeling of injustice and both hopelessness and just pure rage over the mm-hmm. fact that it's like that comes back. Mm. So that's why people are so connected uh, to what they're seeing happening in the United States. Because here in Sweden, you have the, the white media, or the media is white here, so you have the media talking about um, uh, that protesting in solidarity with Black Lives Matter in the United States makes no sense because Sweden is not the same as the United States. No, it's not the same, but the experience for black and brown people in this country is 
an experience where you're living inside of a racist structure. It might not be as fatal and as brutal as in the United States, but nonetheless, it is racist, you know? So that's why that bond of solidarity, that's why you're seeing marches in Antwerp and that's why they're tearing down statues of Leopold II in, in Belgium today. You know, for me, it was really powerful to see the people of Bristol, white and black, and the, and the black people of Bristol are mainly Car- uh, Caribbean, uh, tear down the statue of Edward Colston, which has stood in Bristol Harbor mm-hmm. for a long time. Now, Edward Colston was a slave trader. What did he do? He captured, trafficked, and sold people of West African origin and African origin to the sugar plantations and tobacco plantations in the Caribbean. Now, what do you think it does to the people of Bristol who are descendants of those very same slaves, because most of them are from the Caribbean, seeing that statue every day. That's micro trauma. Mm -hmm. But over time, it's just Mm -hmm. pure trauma. It's telling that person who sees that, who the world is built for, who's writing the story, who's being remembered, and how forgotten Mm -hmm. and invisible you are. Wow. Wow. Uh, Thank you for that. Sorry to go on and on, but yeah. Yeah. No, no, I just no, wanted to, no, no. I just wanted to speak beautiful. on why we're marching in Sweden, why we're marching in Sydney, why in Australia, you know, and for you to know that the whole world is watching. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. No, it's beautiful. Uh, but time out though on Bristol, they did create massive attacks. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, I got to give them a little. Bristol, man. <laughs> you got to you know, give them a little. I got love for every, <laughs> everything from the sherry to the music. <laughs> Bristol cream, I'm good, you know. Um, yeah. No, but yeah. to me, I felt... I felt elated and just, I felt joy when I saw them tear, first they tear the statue down, then they roll it into the harbor so that like, fuck it, this, you know, we're throwing this overboard. And that to me was, that gave me hope, even though it wasn't something happening. Yeah, I mean, Jason, you you speak about England, so why not, right? Um, So today I wake up and, um, you know, a big English newspaper talks about um, the pros and cons of slavery, right? So when you talk about white media, people don't understand that yeah. it's biased. But even to, so there's a, no, but wait a minute, there's an editor there. First of all, there's a writer that thinks, is this a good idea? Then there is an editor that says, yeah, we should run with this. And you know why they say we should run that? Because they lack of diversity, but they know they're going to get clicks. So they did a top 10 list on the good reasons. What, what was the bad reason to bring slaves from Africa? This is serious. And, and used, oh, the slaves, this was, you know, they built great wells uh, for England. They built the docks. So we're talking about what was good about slaves. I mean, have you for one second thought about that you brought you like what that means? So so it's not only Donald Trump that is race baiting. It's the, the, the tonality is so awkwardly sad. So you can actually uh, a, a newspaper like the Daily Mail can actually go in and have a debate on that. And, and, and you can't and do not that reflect so. on. Try that. Try that at The New York Times. Try that. I mean, we want to we want to and this is my point. There's got to be resistance. You know, I was listening to one of the biggest radio programs in Sweden. It's called Studio mm. X on Payet, which is on Swedish, the Swedish National Broadcasting Corporation. They were covering the Black Lives Matter demonstration that went down in Malmo yesterday. The reporters are constantly pushing the narrative uh, that uh, people in Sweden are not allowed to gather in crowds more than 50 okay. people. So... They're asking the police, why aren't you breaking up the demonstration? Why, are they more than 50 people? The police says, yes, there's more than, well, why don't you break it up? They're like, well, people have a right to gather. It's a, a democratic principle that's in our constitution. They're like, well, they haven't, uh, they haven't applied for a permit to demonstrate. Well, we, the, police is, the police is being more reasonable than the reporters. Then the next person they interview is a uh, white Swedish professor who is there to weigh in on the legality of the demonstration. So it's the poli- uh, a white police officer uh, who has a wonderful Scanian dialect, so that makes yeah. me happy, uh, uh, but uh, she's white, and then a white professor, and then a racist politician. Mm. Nowhere in the reporting 
during this yeah. segment covering this protest, do they talk about why people are protesting? Or do they ask a protester, why are you here today? Why are you not scared of uh, catching corona? Why, what made you come out? So, you know, what the Daily Mail is doing, what Aftonbladet is doing, Svenska Dagbladet is really doing, Expressen is doing, is that same, in Swedish, I, you know, there's the word aningslas, but I think it's more than, it's more than just implicit bias. It's, a, it's an ex- explicit bias. It's a unwillingness to understand the why. Yeah. I want to, I want to really, I mean, racism can get us going uh, for a long time, yeah. but I actually want to... Uh, <laughs> the, the lid, the lid is yeah. starting to... No, but it, it needs to boil. Right? But I want to talk about in the sense that the average person that maybe have not thought about this every day, right? So I think there's probably more, but there's, for me, there's four, I wrote them down. There's four levels of racism in a sense. There is the the personal internalized racism, the personal one that is built up of accumulation of images, culture, or lack of uh, heroes, or lack of um, things that you read that built up to an, an, an interpersonal bias, either pro something yeah. or against something. Mm. That is something also, which also which attaches itself to your survival Absolutely. instincts, right? Because you internalize in order to gauge yes. your your uh, your survival. But I think that internalize is very very important because it's oh, it's, yeah. it's for me what comes up to an Amy Cooper situation, right? So, Absolutely. so you don't even Absolutely. know about it, but you internalize it and you're building up a preference towards something. Very often, white culture because it's what school has fed you, right? And then you have something that is a little bit more institutionalized, right? That uh, mm-hmm. policies at the workplace, uh, policies at, uh, at maybe the school or the universities, it's big and you don't even see it as racist, it's just biased towards something and biased against something, so it's already cut off. You can say like, and you hear it like in, in actually, you see it in sports a lot, you know? The, the Swedish team is structured and organized, and the team from uh, now, uh, Senegal, Senegal, they're creative, but a little bit disorganized or whatever, right? So it's like, that's something, that's just a nod that goes to a structure, right? And then yeah. there is the uh, interpersonal that it builds up this like microaggression. And that's the one that the police officer used against George Floyd. So he's been internalizing it. And then he's been also building up his interpersonal, right? What came out? George Floyd and the police officer, they knew each other. They worked together actually as security guards at a nightclub. What are they now saying? Well, you know, the police officer, when he worked here, he was always afraid of black people. So that is that interpersonal aggression that that comes out, right? You see it in um, in a KKK member that drives in to a, a peaceful protesters. And the weird thing is because of the internalized and because the institutional, you know, when when Dylan um, killed people in North Carolina in the in the church, but we were told how his parents felt bad. What do you think? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The, the he, was, he humanized. was humanized, right? Not demonized, yes. like, like Trayvon like Martin. Trayvon Martin. So, you, so, so these are very different. And the last one that I think that sort of like you have the institutional, you have the structural, you have the interpersonal, you have the internalized. So if people start thinking about these from these levels, do you know what that means? Is that we all have it. And oh, depending absolutely. where... It's in, it's the, in the air. air, right? So think about your own bias. Think about your own level of maybe not racism is not like an art of Hitler only. It doesn't operate on that level. It's it's equally operating in a different level where you you like you say it's in the air, but the, from the internalized, the interpersonal, the structural, and the institutional. And it's it, this is really reason why you have an Amy Cooper that is much more silent, but I'm gonna weaponize it because I can. And then you have the police officers that's like, 
I'm going to do it because I've had these emotions inside of me and I've been taught that you are the enemy regardless what you've done. I'm not here to serve and protect the population anymore. I'm here to take out my interaggression. And this is a very important thing to think about. Uh, and I just want, kind of wanted to drop that because I've been thinking about this for a long time. And you're right. America as a society solves things through violence. This is not something that I'm proud to say, but his story shows. It's a very brutally violent country. In, in, in Sweden, in Europe, it builds, but in general, it's not as brutal. Uh, and, and that's a major difference. It is a major difference. And, and, you know, and that's one that I've seen in pretty much every newspaper over the past days. Uh, the fact that white reporters and journalists say that, well, the police aren't killing black and brown people in Sweden, so what are you complaining about? But we'll leave it at that, you know. Um, I, I just wanted to add to one uh, last thing, and that's also in the Swedish white uh, narrative of what racism mm. is, is stuck, is forever stuck in a fifth category of racism, which is like racism 101, which is what we call the overt racism, the act of being racist, like the act of calling somebody the N-word, or the act of explicitly and intentionally uh, discriminating against somebody because of the color of their skin. Now, most Swedes are stuck in that this is what racism is, the act. Like either, uh, either you, you're performing the act or you're not performing the mm. act. And most people identify as somebody, well, I've never performed mm. the act. I've never overtly been racist. I've never called anyone the N-word. I'm not a racist. Mm. True in one sense of the matter. No, you haven't overtly engaged in using or, or, or in, in, in explicitly suppressing somebody because of the color of your skin, but you're still gaining from your, the privilege that comes with the color of your skin. And you're also a part of this larger structure that you're talking about. So I just wanted to add that the overt racism is kind of where the, the Swedish uh, grasp of what racism is, is pretty much stuck in, you know, well, I don't use the N word, so I'm not a racist. You know, and the, but the people over there, they're the ones who are racist. And it's very easy to point fingers at, at the people who from now on shall, shall remain name, unnamed, but to point fingers at them and say, well, they're the problem, they're the racists, and I can feel fine because I'm not one of them. Um, I think that white privilege conversation and dialogue will come much later to Sweden and Europe on a large, not on a, not on a micro, but on a larger, because that means that the whole country has to hold the mirror up. And that's a much harder conversation. <laughs> yes, and like, yeah. I think, but I think Jason, it's very important because you have a massive role of uh, unpacking that, deconstructing that, because that's a very important thing, right? Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Can I just say something that has been really powerful to watch? You know why this is different also? Uh. Because this movement is started by powerful, powerful women, black women. Yes. Um, yes. Can we talk about who started? Why and how did Black Lives Matter started? It's a decentralized mm. movement, but it was founded by three, three black women, I think in the wake of uh, the killing of Michael Brown but also on the back of what had happened to Trayvon, uh, Trayvon Martin and was about to end and, and further, you know, what shortly thereafter, after Mike Brown happened to both Tamir Rice and um, Eric Garner, Eric Garner, boom. And it was founded by uh, Alicia Garza, Patrice Cullors and Opal mm. Tometi. So three black women started this, Jason, right? Absolutely. And they started it on as a hashtag mm. on Twitter and it's basically just a vent to say something that black people in the United States in particular, but black and brown people all around the world have been feeling needs to be said for a long time that black lives mm. matter. And it doesn't mean that all lives don't matter, but the way the world in which we live is structured, it is built and constructed, constructed in a way that excludes and that hinders and oppresses black and brown people. That's why black and brown people feel the need to say this phrase and say it again and say it loud and shout it and sing it and rap mm. it. Black lives matter. But, but Jason, I think that, that what you talk about is so key because it does not mean that all lives don't matter. That's like that. So many people come up to me and say, oh, it means that all lives don't matter. No, that's not what we're saying. We're living, Black Lives Matter is really a call out for marginalized people. And this has been going on specifically for Black culture for hundreds and hundreds of years. And, you know, what's been so powerful is that the, just like Malcolm said, the revolution is televised or on social media, but it's also led by women like, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement, but also someone like, you know, my girl Tamika up the street here from Tamika Malroy uh, from, from Harlem. Mallory, uh, yeah. Tamika Malroy. Mm -hmm. Powerful, powerful. Yes. And speaking of strong black women, I think we're gonna hear from someone else that is by just going viral and speaking the truth. Let me explain to you something about economics in America, that we must never forget that economics was the reason that black people were brought to this country. We came to do the agricultural work in the South and the textile work in the North. Do you understand that? That's what we came to do. If I right now decided that I wanted to play Monopoly with you, and for 400 rounds of playing Monopoly, I didn't allow you to have any money, I didn't allow you to have anything on the board. I didn't allow for you to have anything. And then we played another 50 rounds of Monopoly and everything that you gained and you earned while you were playing that round of Monopoly was taken from you. That was Tulsa. That was Rosewood. There are those are places where we built black economic wealth, where we were self-sufficient, where we owned our stores, where we owned our property, and they burned them to the ground. So that's 450 years. So for 400 rounds of Monopoly, you don't get to play at all. Not only do you not get to play, you have to play on the behalf of the person that you're playing against. You have to play and make money and earn wealth for them, and then you have to turn it over to them. So then for 50 years, you finally get a little bit and you're allowed to play. And every time that they don't like the way that you're playing or that you're catching up 
or that you're doing something to be self-sufficient, they burn your game. They burn your cards. They burn your monopoly money. And then finally at the release and the onset of that, they allow you to play and they say, okay, now you catch up. Now at this point, the only way you're gonna catch up in the game is if the person shares the wealth, correct? But what if every time you share the wealth, then there's psychological warfare against you to say, oh, you're an equal opportunity higher. So if I played 400 rounds of Monopoly with you and I had to play and give you every dime that I made, and then for 50 years, every time that I played, I, if you didn't like what I did, you got to burn it like they did in Tulsa and like they did in Rosewood. How can you win? How can you win? You can't win. The game is fixed. So when they say, why do you burn down the community? Why do you burn down your own neighborhood? It's not ours. We don't own anything. We don't own anything. There is, Trevor Noah said it so beautifully last night. There's a social contract that we all have, that if you steal or if I steal, then the person who is the authority comes in and they fix the situation. But the person who fixes the situation is killing us. So the social contract is broken. And if the social contract is broken, why the fuck do I give a shit about burning the fucking football hall of fame, about burning a fucking target? You broke the contract when you killed us in the streets and didn't give a fuck. You broke the contract when for 400 years we played your game and built your wealth. You broke the contract when we built our wealth again on our own by our bootstraps in Tulsa and you dropped bombs on us. When we built it in Rosewood and you came in and you slaughtered us. You broke the contract, so fuck your target. Fuck your Hall of Fame. As far as I'm concerned, they could burn this bitch to the ground. And it still wouldn't be enough. And they are lucky that what black people are looking for is equality and not revenge. Yo, Chuck D would have been proud, man. I'm burn, I mean, baby, burn. It's unbelievable know? how articulate she is. Every African American person feels that. Everyone feels that. My father mm. feels that. I grew up hearing, echoing that same anger. Kimberly Jones is channeling that rage mm. that's intergenerational. Mm. Uh, you know, she she she's speaking for all of us, and it's not only just limited to. The black experience in, in North America, in the United States, it's, it's black people in the Caribbean, in South America, in, in, you know, in Asia, in Australia, in Europe. Mm -hmm. Europe, the fathers of colonization, the, the men that colonized the United States and slaughtered the, the Native Americans. I think in Sweden, we have another B, right? And I always, I think this, Black Lives Matter is a starting point. And then this will kind of like land locally whatever is relevant to marginalized people. And, you know, uh, I grew up in a culture where, you know, blatte, all foreigners, right? Which is obviously a very harsh word in Sweden, but it's also empowering of that word, blatte. And I was even thinking, will Black Life be, will, with BLM in Sweden, have the context of blatte life matters, right? Because it can be, in some way, you can contextualize it uh, in terms of we were the marginalized, you look at how how you don't we don't really have housing projects, but there's definitely a segregation system on where people live and how people live, and so on. And similar dialogue, not as brutal, not as violent, is happening in Sweden as well. And I don't think anyone can escape this conversation that is needed. We don't, you know, and 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 once you start a conversation and you've been race baiting and you have a society that is structurally not fair, right? When people lose hope, a couple of things happen. If you internalize it, it very often leads to some type of abuse, self-abuse. It might be you cut yourself, you hurt mm -hmm. yourself, mm -hmm. or maybe some type behavior. of drug. Yeah, you might yeah. drink too much, you might yeah. smoke crack or whatever. And then yeah. when the last leg of hope stops, right? When you stop having hope, that's when you go out and start vandalizing because you lost all levels of mm -hmm. hope. And I think it's mm -hmm. more important to have this conversation and fix it and try to make a fair society than go to that last leg where you are hopeless. If you have a hopeless society, 
where all causes are lost. And that's the border that we're looking at now. African-American leads the world and in terms of uh, the oppression and in terms of we're coming to the brink of where we're losing hope. And when you have a generation that's losing hope, it's going to be dangerous. I will say this. Earlier in, the, in that clip that where Kimberly Jones is delivering that powerful and unfortunately necessary message, she's also categorizing, you know, you have three types of people involved in the protest. You have the demonstrators who are actually there for what they, because uh, they believe in the cause. You have the rioters who just want to raise hell. And you have the looters who basically uh, just want to get shit, take shit, you know. And, but what she does explain, and which, which is so true, is the fact that, well, why do they need, why do they have this need to, it, it, this is their only avenue of getting that mm-hmm. shit. You know, if you hear Grandmaster Kaz talk about the great blackout in 1978 yeah. and how they broke down the window to the record store and that's how they got record players and mm. mixers, and that's how hip hop it, it contributed to the birth of hip hop because they the kids in the Bronx couldn't afford yeah. to buy this expensive equipment. I'm not I'm not legitimizing all form of looting because obviously it's uh, I wish there wasn't looting going on, but I understand why. I'm at least willing to ask myself the question: Why do people feel that need? And I just want to say another thing. On the 30th of November. Sweden, the, the, the Nazis in Sweden celebrate the death of King Carl uh, XII. In the town where I'm from, university town, Nazis would migrate every 30th of November. They'd come take over the town and demonstrate. You know, there weren't a lot of them, 100, 150, but the, you know, there were riot police and riot gear all over town because, of course, and as it always has been, there were more people in the demonstration against the Nazi demonstration than there were even Nazis. So the police are basically protecting the Nazis so they don't get their heads cracked open by people who can't stand Nazis. I would sit in my dad's kitchen. I would hear his black friends and himself saying, today's the day we don't go out. We don't go outside today because, you know, Val Johnson sitting there telling a story of how he was bitten by a police, a German shepherd, you know, bitten by a police dog on the train station just for waiting on the train, you know, on the 30th of November. When I got old enough, my friends and I would sneak out and join the anti-protesters, mm. the, 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 the demonstrations that were against the Nazis. And it was exciting. I was a little bit scared. I'd hop on my bike. I'd bike downtown over the cobblestone streets, uh, 30th of November, it's dark, it's often raining. We came down to the main street in in the center of Lund, and it's a full-blown riot going on. You know, I think this is 1991, 1990. And I was like, what is going on here? You know, we park our bikes really quick and go up and, and join the uh, uh, stand behind the people who we know are the ones on our side. And it's all Danish Antifa people who are digging up the cobblestones with, with metal poles and throwing cobblestones at the riot police. And the riot police are throwing cobblestones back. So there's cobblestones flying through the air and tear gas. And then the police with the horses come in. They start swinging their batons. We have to run down a back street. You know, we get caught between two walls of police. And I knew my dad was gonna be upset. I mean, I knew my dad was gonna give me hell Mm. for putting myself in danger. And I also knew that the reason I was there was just to see it, what's going on. What if I can see, you know, the Nazis or, and just seeing the police. I mean, there was some level of excitement there too. But then and there, when we're boxed in the Lila Fiska Gotham between two walls of police, sitting there with the Danish Antifa, I'm like, wow, this is really, you know, this is what standing up for our point looks mm-hmm. like. Because in that moment, the police are protect- protecting the Nazis. And I know, because I just heard my dad's friends and for many years heard my dad's say, friends say, 
And I've read in the history books that the Nazis don't like black people. So it's very, very yeah. obvious. You know, and I will say this because a lot of blame in the United States is being put on Antifa. Mm -hmm. If you're in Sweden, which is a country where Nazi violence is real, oh. Nazis have killed far more people, committed far more hate crimes and far more murders than anyone on the left ever has. When you're in a demonstration in Schärtel, you know, just south of uh, Stockholm, and there are babies in strollers, uh, moms and pops out, you know, uh, uh, in an anti-racist march, which is super peaceful, and then is attacked by 50 Nazis with shields, with big uh, Nazi emblems on them, you are fucking happy that Antifa is there mm. to protect you. Because when it comes to Nazis, you don't want to be... Yeah. I've been rushed by Nazis, and I've been in situations where I've been rushed by Nazis. Antifa is the last line of defense. Like, you know, as a black and brown person in Sweden, that the cops are not no. going to help you. So, you know, I, I just... Yeah. Whatever people have to say about that organization, I'm happy they yeah. exist, man. It's, uh, it's the front line against Nazis in this yeah, country. But you also, you know? maybe, you know, Antifa also, just so people know, Antifa was created during the Second World War uh, by the resistance against the Nazis, right? So it has a long stand of... of I actually yeah, didn't so know It started that. In, uh, during the, the, the war against the Nazis. And you're going to hear a lot about Antifa as we get closer to the election because obviously Fox News and... and um, yeah, the narrative and, is being spun. And uh, Mickey know. Mouse in office loves to talk about them. But anyway, the last thing I want to tell you uh, is, is because when you said about 1991, there's something that comes, I'll never forget that. Uh, when I got arrested in a foreign country, I got arrested in Germany. And it scared the shit out of me, Jason. It really, but it was also probably, it was the biggest reason why I want to move that and the experience in France. So it became this, and it's so interesting you say this, it becomes this accumulated journey, right? You have one incident and you have two incidents and then you're like, what did I do? So, yeah, so I'm working in Switzerland and one of my, uh, uh, one of my roommates, he's from Germany and he's like, I, you know, I'm just from Bayern. I, I, I'm just from uh, very close to Munich, I'm from Bayern. We just take my motorbike and we drive home to see my parents because it's Oktoberfest. And I'm like, cool, I would love that. He drives us over the mountains, we get to his village. And then he's like, um, we, we have, we're just sitting in the middle of town square uh, and in a tiny little village called Überling in Southern Germany. And he's like, let me go and say hi to my cousin uh, do you mind sitting here? I'm eating sausage. I'm watching this, this stuff going through happening. I'm, I'm good. Take your time. Take an hour. Take two. I'm, I'm here. I'm good. I'm walking around. Super excited. Come back to the square. Like that. A green police car comes over and he's like, we need to see your papers. Uh, why are you here? All in German. And, you know, I actually happen to have my bag uh, with him like my passport and all of that stuff. So I didn't have any idea on me at that very second. I didn't, but I, you know, I'm sitting having a, uh, not even a beer, like a, you know, uh, uh, you know, just whatever. And uh, well, you got to come with me. So, the, and I was like, wait a minute, if you wait here for 45 minutes, my boy will come back and he can explain everything. And this is in Germany, in Germany. Uh, I get arrested go down to the police station and it's a day, it's the time before his cell phone. So I don't, you know, I don't have his parents' phone number or anything, but eventually his parents calls the police station and they come and get me out. And, you know, like that seven hours. So it went from us having a great time in Germany to me being arrested. And I've never, being able to, it's like a soap, like you want to wash this, this dirty skin, this dirty filth off. And hmm. I can't get it off. It's, it's trauma. trauma, man. It's a trauma. And then. You know? That's just one episode. Yeah, it's tiny. And his parents, they couldn't have been sweeter. He was so embarrassed. And it's like, it's nothing that they did. But I just knew like, damn, man, I, I can't be here. I can't be here anymore. Can I just end with uh, 
I've been reading a lot of Morgan Parker's latest book, Magical Negro. Mm. There's a lot of great words in this book, but I thought these are good to end with. I want to know the future is a bright violet grape. Everything has skin. Everyone tells me sorry. I know the world is dangerous. Everyone tells me sorry. I am hallelujah, the first plague. My name is suitable for spitting. Please touch me. All I have are these terrible animals, this hunger. That's the end of a poem called uh, Preface to a 20-volume joke book. And uh, yeah, little book tip. Morgan Parker's poetry is powerful. Joe, my brother, I, I thank you for <laughs> yeah. this is a therapy that we both need at this point. And hopefully it will be as needed and, and entertaining, but also important and joy and sadness for our listeners as it's been for you and me going through this experience. Uh, again, we love America. We love Sweden with all of its flaws. Uh, Sweden and America is human. It's filled with tons of mistakes, but we also are hopeful. You don't, you don't care and glad something so much if you don't love it. So um, peace, and I appreciate. We it. need this. We need this. Right. Peace and love, brother. This moment. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 